Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. In the next uh, two segments, we're going to take a break from COVID-19 to some degree and talk about some of the things we're missing, especially what we missed Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland. And that is the Cleveland National Air Show. And, and for those of us who really love aviation and everything to do with air shows, Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland always included the voice of the air show narrator, Danny Clisham. And we have him joining us tonight so we can hear his wonderful voice, even though we don't have the airplanes with us. <laughs> Danny, thank you for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. It's always good to hear your voice, Colonel Nick Phillips, and uh, be able to chat a little bit before or after the fact, uh, the fact that we didn't have a show last weekend. I know. that 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 is something. But... Uh, you know, every year. You no, know, we've known each other for how? Oh my, over twenty years, I would imagine. We've oh, been much over twenty years. Yeah, you bet. We were uh, um, both in cadet. We were young together. We were twelve. <laughs> so, well, a- aviation in Cleveland certainly is, is uh, rooted in history here, and uh, you being out here for the Cleveland Air Show. Um, of course, I said we're not going to talk about COVID, but we can't uh, avoid the impact of, of COVID and, and how it's uh, changed our lives this year, the year 2020. will be always known for everybody who's alive now as the, the COVID year. Um, how's it gone for you, and how's it gone for the aviation community? Well, it hasn't gone. It has stopped, as a matter of fact, because of all of the necessary restrictions that People are aware of these days, we don't have to go into it, but the safety of our spectators and our army of volunteers and our performers all at stake, and it's just not worth the gamble. So uh, from about the beginning of our air show season, which predominantly in the U.S. starts about mid-March and ends about mid-November, we have done very little in the way of traditional air shows. There have been flybys. Um, non-aerobatic flybys, salute to military, salute to anniversaries of the military and whatnot, but very few of those as well. And um, so we have been uh, doing what air show performers don't like to do, and they they do not like to stay home on the weekends. We are road people, especially in the spring, summer, and fall, and we miss our friends. You know, we develop great friendships and partnerships over the years at all these great air show towns like Cleveland. And uh, it means so much to us to be there. We are privileged to be able to perform in a town like Cleveland with all it has to offer. As you said, the great barnstorming and the rich racing history at Cleveland. And we still are providing that modern-day thrills to uh, people in and around Cleveland. And uh, we hope to do it in the future. In fact, uh, we are... Right now, starting very hard, and we have been, to prep for next year. We are all very positive about this getting solved and the danger going away and getting back out to do what we love to do so much, and that is to entertain families across North America and, in a lot of cases, of our colleagues around the world. Well, I think everybody who's involved in the uh, aviation business uh, as it goes with regard to the air shows, uh, you said they they don't like to be grounded, essentially. And that's one (laughs) of the terms they use in pilots, when you're grounded, meaning you can't fly. And uh, for those people who fly, they they know the fun and the the joy of not only flying, but actually being there watching them. When when we talk about the Cleveland Air Show, and, and 
it's not atypical. They're like air shows all over. But when we have the Cleveland Air Show, about how many people do we have involved in it? I know we have the performers, the ground crews, the support people, the volunteers, the spectators. We're, we're talking about thousands, I, I would imagine. Yeah, you are. No, no established or bona fide air show across North America, which certainly includes Cleveland, would be possible without an army of volunteers. And they run at Cleveland into the hundreds. Uh, the fact is these are people that I get a chance to see every year at their assigned posts, which are close to where I work. And they give up their entire, they give up their entire holiday weekend to be out there before the sun comes up in the morning. And then as they finish off their duties, the sun is going down in the afternoon and they're heading home to get some much-needed sleep to be back out again the next morning. And the sacrifice that they provide and the expertise and professionalism, the courtesy that they have helping the family of spectators that we have is um, just inspirational. And again, no show in North America would be successful without the volunteers. And uh, Cleveland, with its rich oh. tradition that goes back to 1929, certainly is a right. is one of the great examples of dedicated people like that. They, we just love them, absolutely love them. And you will hear the pilots talking from the cockpit during their performance quite often, uh, paying salute to certain people and then also acknowledging the volunteers. So we know how important they are, and we <laughs> we absolutely love them. Oh. I hear you. I hear you. Well, uh, you, to take some of the pain away for the 2020 Labor Day weekend here in Cleveland, Monday was a complete washout. Uh, in some areas, we had five inches of rain, a lot of flooding, and uh, all of our communications were being interrupted with the National Weather Service uh, emergency broadcast saying, watch out for flash flooding. So uh, we, we would have been down. So looking at the, the COVID year 2020, looking at it from a mental standpoint that the big pause button has been forcibly pushed for us. So we're pausing everything and we're just sort of reliving what we've been doing in the past and looking forward to what we'll be doing in the future. So I'm glad to hear we're all focusing on getting ready for 2021. So that will be exciting. Yeah, our, our, we have a positive approach to everything. And of course, it's our big wish to have a normal season next year, and that's what we're going in at. That's what we're gearing up for. And uh, I just, I, you know, a lot has been said about the the issue, but uh, we've been through some tough things generations before us in this country, and it's a test, and we'll get through this test as well. This time the test is the entire world, not just the United States, not just America or North America, but the entire world. You always have to keep that in mind, that we're not the only ones. Uh, our country is not the only country affected. So we're all well, that's, an, that's an excellent point. Well, we are, and uh, we, uh, we have solved things before. With the resources we have, with the intelligence we have, with the great dedicated people, this is a problem that will be solved. Some of the problems that have come up before us before have been complicated. Some have been fairly simple. And some, if you go way back in uh, the early dates of some of the flus that came around then with no protection, they annihilated millions of people around the globe. So we 
with the medicines we have and the precautions we have and the agencies we have, we uh, are at a much better chance than any of the generations before us. I, I agree. Uh, we watch things moving, as they're saying now, at warp speed. Uh, things that would take years to be done from a scientific standpoint are being done in the matter of weeks and months. And uh, we we hope that it's going to be safe and we have to trust in our our science that it's it's going to get us through this. And like all bad things, like all rainy days, they'll all be over someday and, and the coronavirus will be over. The um, I noticed that with regard to pilots generally and the whole idea of the FAA and medical certi certifications and that kind of thing, there's all types of special COVID rules that are out there that are making it a bit easier for pilots to get through this time frame. Yes, they had to uh, be able to modify some of the restrictions they had on your FAA flight physical that allows you to fly, and they've given the pilots uh, an extension to be able to get in to see the flight positions. There's a limited amount of flight positions in the U.S. So they have to stagger the appointments, of course, and uh, do the distancing. So that was one of the, one of the side provisions that came out. Uh, people are adapting. Let me just put it that way. Everybody adapts in the way they can in the profession they're in or the area where they live. They just do the best they can and try to make it all work and uh, just continue to continue an effort. That's the most important thing. Have a positive attitude. Continue working towards a solution. Well, I can't wait to see you back up on show center stage uh, <laughs> in Cleveland uh, talking about all of those wonderful aircraft we're going to be seeing. We're, we're going to take a short break. We're, we're talking to Danny Clisham, an air show announcer, actor, aerial film coordinator, and a pilot. Thank goodness being a pilot. And uh, he is, you've heard his voice many, many years for, oh my, uh, 30 or more years in Cleveland every Maybe, Labor Day weekend. You know what? I had to. I had some time over the weekend to do some research, and uh, my first visit to Cleveland was 1981. So next year, 2021, you do the math, that's the big four zero. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, let, let's, take a short, let's take a short break. Uh, we're going to be back with Danny Clisham talking about the Cleveland National Air Show and uh, all the things we missed Labor Day. But we'll be back next year. Well, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes now. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, we're so pleased to have a very familiar-sounding person, Danny Clisham, who is the air show announcer for the Cleveland National Air Show. Next year will be 40 years, I'm understanding. Danny, welcome back, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks. It's always a pleasure to, to be able to talk to you, Colonel. It's great. You know, we're, we're talking about 40 years next year. Where did that time go? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it uh, reminds me of that adage about time flies when you're having fun. And uh, I have driven most of the time from my summer home in Ann Arbor down to Cleveland 
and it seems like the Labor Day weekends came in came sooner and sooner every year. And I, I'm sure that as I was heading eastbound into Burke Lakefront Airport one year, I saw myself going the opposite direction, heading home from the show prior to that, and I had to do a double take. But they are they have clicked off pretty rapidly because of such a pure joy. We've got a great leadership group in uh, at the Cleveland National Air Show, the Chuck Newcomb organization, and all those great team members. And they're so professional. The crowds are so great. The, the volunteers are fantastic. And to be able, Nick, to work Cleveland, as uh, people in the entertainment industry and in the air show industry say as well, to be able to work Cleveland with its great tradition and its heroes of barnstormers and speed kings where the fastest men and women in the world were civilians and they were at Cleveland. It was a center of speed. It was a center of air racing. It was the center of breaking all records and allowing people to see airplanes going at a speed that they never thought possible. And that that tradition continues. And we're just so happy to be a small part of that tradition. Your great, your great uh, audience and spectators, I urge them to take a visit down to the Burke Lakefront Airport, and you'll see a display of two F-4 fighters outside of Burke, ah, yes. up on pedestals, one in the color of the Blue Angels, Navy demonstration team, one in the color of the Thunderbirds, U.S. Air Force demonstration team, and it is the Marjorie Rosenbaum Plaza. And it's worthy of a visit for you and your entire family to spend some time there. There is parking right there. I have been down there, Nick, when I've seen people enjoying their lunch around the plaza. There are plaques and displays that pay tribute to all of the legendary air racers and barnstormers and organizers. And it's in a flowery uh, garden-type atmosphere. There's a walk of fame, just like out in Hollywood, but cleaner. And at night, it's backlit to be able to show the dynamic colors of the two F-4s that are way over your head. And then a big wall that has the poem High Flight by John Gillespie McGee. Ah, uh, yes. And it's a very sacred place. It, it is, um, it's worth a visit any time of the year when when uh, you want to get outside and uh, enjoy it with your family. It is free. It's at Burke Lakefront Airport, and it's it's monumental. It's, it's pretty spiritual to us, Nick, because the very pe- people that are featured there were the reasons we got into doing what we're doing, because we had heroes that were air show pilots and race pilots. And we wanted, as kids, to be like them. We wanted to be at Cleveland. And our dream came true in a lot of cases. Well, well, you know, and as I'm listening to you and listening uh, to you talk about the history and especially the 40 years, that you know, we, we can't forget that the traditions that we all have as we're growing up uh, that are repeated year after year after year does carry through all these generations of people so that when we have the Cleveland Air Show just in those 40 years, we have at least three generations of Clevelanders who would be coming down to the air show with their fathers, and then they became fathers and brought their children, who are now fathers themselves. And the fact that we get down to there and see these old, familiar things. You know, I've had hamburgers before, but hamburgers are never better than on a on a very hot late <laughs> afternoon before the Thunderbirds come out, and you go out there and stand in the grass and buy a, a hamburger <laughs> from That's- one of these vendors. 
That's living at its finest. We, we call that the, we call that the uh, steak sandwich at an air show, and it's kept a lot of people alive at air shows and other events over the course of the years. But you're right. It's, we're so happy. We are an out-of-door venue. We are, as you just said, Nick, family-friendly. We do not embarrass anybody from kids in strollers up to the great-grandparents and every generation in between. We don't embarrass them with our actions or our words. Uh, that might uh, not be the case with other forms of entertainment. And we give them we give them a sense, uh, in mm-hmm. some cases, of nostalgia. And uh, in the case of a little kid uh, walking with his uh, parents or grandparents, uh, that little kid may not have seen a biplane with a wing walker on it. So it's brand new to them. It's uh, an old tradition to grand- grandfather and grandmother. But uh, every one of those generations no, can be thrilled, that, you know, when the airplanes fly, your rib cage rattles, you know, and the ground shakes <laughs> beneath your feet. And typical of Cleveland down at Burke on air show weekends, remember, Dick, when the tactical solo military jets would go by at just under the speed of sound, remember how the moisture built up on the wings? And formed a wall. Oh, yes. there for, yeah, great photo opportunity. And I can hear the crowd behind me when that happens. They go, ooh. I would always tell my wife, I said, that's the sound of freedom. <laughs> that is. Yes, it is the sound of freedom. No doubt about it. Yep. Yep. And, well, of course, we pay tribute to our men and women in uniform as well. Uh, they are working hard in the air. At those shows, they are, too, giving up a long weekend to crew the airplanes that not only come in to fly over Burke, but also Burke has one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ground display uh, venues of any air show we do on the North American circuit. Uh, the, the airplanes, military and civilian, old and new, that are on the ground are worth the price of admission alone. And not only on the ground, but you're able to get up close maybe in some cases take a peek inside of a fighter jet, uh, talk to the crew <laughs> members, get a photo opportunity, get a selfie, uh, meet the crew members, shake their hands. You might find that they are people that grew up in Cleveland and are coming back with their aircraft or with their display to not only uh, allow the spectators to enjoy that particular airplane, but also maybe hook up with their family and friends on the evenings they're in town and do some a renewing of friendships and family ties. Oh, that that's for sure. And you know, just see as, as again as you're talking about this, I'm reflecting back on what I remember the air show being like, and just example after example of great parenting as those moms and dads are there with their kids. And uh, like you say, these kids are getting to see airplanes up up close and uh, personal. I, I remember that uh, when I had my airplanes actually come down and leave it at the show for people to look at, a small general aviation plane, but parked next to a United 737. <laughs> and the fact that there, there are a lot of people who this is their only opportunity to actually get onto an airplane. I mean, everybody doesn't fly. And for those who want to get up close and see what it's like, it was a great opportunity. We long for those days to come back, and we know they're going to make it back here. There have, since the dawn of aviation, there always has been air shows, and there always will. Believe me. 
Well, I, I think uh, the air show will be back, and it's great that plans are in process. And like we said earlier, every day is not a rainy day. The COVID is going to pass, and uh, next year we should be definitely back to uh, where we were and where we hope to be. And uh, real quick question, the warbirds. I mean, we all miss the warbirds, the World War II aircraft and, and beyond. Are, are they all in hibernation for the summer? No, they, they have been out doing a parade-type flybys for uh, anniversary military air shows to, to honor certain um, important dates in our military. So they have been over doing shows over the water, over some some rivers, and also over Washington, D.C. Uh, but it is a straight-level flyby. It's like a history of flight, showing you all the great and early aircraft from oh, wow. before, during, and after World War II up into the Korean era and maybe even the Vietnam era. So it's a parade well, of flight, I... uh, and with, uh-huh. with that particular venue, we have been able to do spacing on the ground. And there's one other thing that has come out. I don't want to neglect it. I still have two air shows left this year that are on the books. One of the adaptations they have done is doing what we call drive-in theater accommodation. And that is where you bring your car in with your party and you stay around your car and you're distanced from the car next to you. It complies with all of the health requirements and recommendations. So people are saying, we have found a way to be able to allow the crowd to come in and see uh, the air show performance. Very yes. good. Some, some oh, we're we're very clever, very some, clever people. Some, Yes, uh, imagination rules the world. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we're going to have to say goodbye to Danny Clisham. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us a little taste of the Cleveland National Air Show. Nick Phillips, it's always a pleasure. I will see you next year. That I will guarantee. You can count on it. Thank you so much. That was Danny Clisham. He was our air show announcer for the Cleveland National Air Show. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland. Next up with you is another segment of The Advocate. In the next uh, two segments, we're going to be talking about something that most of us are involved in and probably not spending enough time thinking about. That is computer security. We all spend time on computers, whether it's out of our smartphone or whether it's out of our laptop or iPad or whatever. But uh, we're going to talk about the vulnerability and risk with that. We're going to talk to uh, the owner, Trent Belayne from Cloud9, one of our wonderful sponsors of The Advocate. Trent, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. And uh, computers, Cloud9 IT, uh, you're, you're one of our sponsors, which we appreciate dearly. But tell us a little bit about what Cloud9 does and lead into security issues and why security is so important. Well, sure. I mean, it's actually... Um, I would say security has probably, in the last, uh, you know, four or five years, has really come to the forefront of IT in general as being probably the number one, you know, factor in which, uh, you know, clients are, I guess, worried about, in essence. Um, you know, what Cloud9 does, well, we've 
we're really what's called a managed services provider. And what that is, is, um, you know, we, we, we are basically outsourced IT for, for, uh, companies and we, um, we act as their internal IT department, um, kind of managing their IT in a, in a fully comprehensive way. So security is always part of that because, you know, we are, we are saying to a client, Hey, we're coming in, we're going to manage your IT just as though you've, you've hired somebody to do so. So, um, security has always been at the forefront of that. And in the last, you know, last several years has become literally the, the thing we, we talk about most. Um, so, um, right. that's, that's kind of what Cloud9 does. Well, very good. Well, I know our law firm uses Cloud9 and uh, I know from a user, I'm, I'm not the uh, computer tech person at all. I just know that <laughs> when it works, it's really useful to have a good computer system. And when it's down, uh, we sort of freeze up. I mean, I can't get anything done. So I call you guys and um, <laughs> we get somebody on you. You have access to our computers. And so far, 100 out of 100 times, you guys were able to correct my problem. If I tried it, it would take hours and I'd just screw it up. I know it. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely, you know who yeah. we are. You know who I am anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, but, every minute, uh, you know, any, any minute someone can't work, that's, that's you know, money money down the tube, you know. So it's, it's important. I mean, you know, businesses live or die by their computer systems. Today. It's probably the most valuable asset that a company, you know, utilizes, so. Well, 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 they do. I recall when we just started out uh, using computers many, many years ago uh, that uh, we were very leery about putting things on a computer, not putting them on a computer, but storing things on a computer. I remember we would have mm -hmm. boxes of printouts. We would do a letter, we would print it out and throw it in the box <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't trust the computer to be able to save and recall that letter. So we had thousands and thousands of documents saved. Well, over the years, we as users have given up that uh, lifeline, that uh, crutch of having hard copy things printed. So now we're totally, totally dependent upon the integrity and the safety of the system. And, and that's mm -hmm. why you mentioned just a few moments ago, we start out with the computer services, and that's taking care of the day-to-day -day glitches and burps that go on with the system. But we have entrusted everything. I mean, there are passwords, there are accounts, there are dollar references, there are, are confidential bits of information uh, mm -hmm. that we're worried about. Yet, we hear in the media that we're somewhat under attack all the time. Are these attacks real or are we overblowing these things that we have to be safe or can we just use these... Uh, internet uh, benefits just freely and be relaxed about it. Who's after us? Oh. Uh, if any, that's that's actually the truth. I mean, the, and that, that's from the everyday consumer, uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, every person, every company is under attack at all times. Uh, and it's actually probably, I would say it's even maybe underplayed uh in the media to some degree um it is um unfortunately people are you know it, it's the users themselves or the people themselves that are always the the way that the hacker gets in or that the you know that you're under attack i mean that that's what they're attacking they're always attacking at that level at this uh you know social engineering level and um you know that's kind of where it starts and their ultimate goal is to obviously get into your system and um and get money at some point um, 
but how they do there's a couple different different scenarios and ways that they do that um so we go into a little bit of that i mean just from you know from a from a company standpoint sure. um you know yeah. yeah i mean the number one way well, mm-hmm. that we uh get into um this type of um these problems um is is through uh, social engineering attacks they almost always start with email and that's uh the number one attack vector something like it i believe and i'm just pulling this off the top of my head, it's 80 or 90 percent of all attack attacks happen first at the email level and that's where they gain access so and that's from an individual user to uh to you know to a company how they're getting in is through email well, well let's talk about the email for a moment uh what what happens like we get hundreds of emails uh, a day, and yep. you look at these emails, and uh, mostly ninety percent of the emails are delete, 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 delete. And we have no problem sure. doing that. Mm-hmm. If we get a, an email from Nigeria saying that they have a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. waiting for us, and that's an easy one to delete. But but if I would receive an email from you, I see your name, Trent Milliron. I'd recognize that mm-hmm. name, and I'd stop and I'd look at it. And there's an attachment on it, but it's not from you. Is there any way, first off, I can judge from looking at that address coming in that it's not really Trent Milliron that's sending that at someone else? Uh, you can. Um, well, you know, there are certain um, specific uh, security systems that, that we, you know, I know that Cloud9 uses. We overlay these on top of on top of email systems that catch what we call, you know, spoofing. Uh, you know, emails that look like they come from me, uh, but they necessarily wouldn't be. Um, that there are some. It's for the average person just looking at it. Um, I would say it's, it would be difficult. There's a couple things. If there's a link inside, if there's a link in the email directing you to some website, um, you can usually hover over that. That's that's the number one way to tell. It, by the way, if it's a you know a phishing email or something like that that's trying to get information from you, um, you know, is the link in in the email itself. Will just point to some random site. You know, it may look like it's from uh, you know UPS or something like that, but it may if you right. if you hover over it, you'll see it will show the real link and where it's from. But um, but from a spoofing standpoint, it's a little bit. If it's just a standard email, it says hey, it says you know uh, this is a com this is a common scenario. Um, the you know an email from the owner of the company will go to maybe their secretary, and the email will say, hey, uh, I need you to buy me some gift cards. And um, you know, send them to this person or address or whatever. And to the secretary, it looks like her boss just told her to do something. So she'll go out get gift cards, and then she'll actually literally send them off to to whoever uh, whoever told her to do it or send them to the address. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very common scenario. Um, and really, uh, just from a brief look at it, without like an extra layer of a security system, we'll say you know, like um, an email security system, without the extra layer for the average person, um, it's going to really look like it's coming from that person. Um, you know, it, it just will. I think the only way you could you'd be able to tell um, would be just the gram. You know how it's how it sounds. Does that sound like your boss? I mean, that you know, spoofed emails often sound maybe a little off because it's usually somebody foreign who's who wrote it. So. Um, Sometimes That's even the language uh, doesn't, uh, it's not good grammar at all. In, in some of these things, can you, let me ask you a couple of questions with regard to mm-hmm. spoofing or the fact you're getting mm-hmm. these hostile emails in. And it looks like it's coming from someone you know. You get into trouble by responding to that email. Is that a, is that a problem? 
Yeah, yeah certainly. Yeah, I mean, that's so the, the, the dialogue. Is what set, yeah, I mean, well, the dialogue, set, you know, sets it in your mind that maybe it's real, right? Um, you know, you get an odd, let's say you get an odd request or something from someone you think, you you know, someone you know, and then you start, you email back and you say, oh, or, you know, are you sure you need that much in gift cards? Like maybe it's a thousand bucks or something. And, you know, and they'll just reply back as though it's, you know, them. And then you start a dialogue and you start actually, that's kind of part of the social engineering. It makes you start believing it really is that person. Um, when you, when you, know, you do that, does that let viruses into your computer by just responding to that email? Um, not, no, not particularly. Um, it just, it just opens it up to them gathering more information from you, right? So the more dialogue you have with them, the more realistic they can see. They even may gather other information, other members within the company, for instance, as well, so that they can then target. Maybe they didn't know that, uh, you know, Joni does, uh, accounting or payroll, but now they do because you, you just told her through dialogue. Well, we're, we're talking the person with the money. We're talking to Trent yeah. Miller, and he uh, with Cloud9IT. We're talking about computer security and vulnerabilities. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. Tonight, we're taking a look at security in our computer systems and how bad things can get. And uh, to talk to us about it is an expert in the field, Trent Milliron, who happens to be the owner of Cloud9 IT, uh, who is also not only one of our sponsors, but also they provide an IT service for our law firm. Uh, so again, Trent, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we're all of us laymen who utilize computer stuff are, are just terrified once we, we we click a button and download something that we shouldn't have clicked, and then our screen goes yeah. red and flashes mm-hmm. alert, alert. You know, you have to <laughs> you have to contact us and pay us money to unlock your computer. Uh, something <laughs> I think they call that that's malware kind of stuff. Tell us about yeah, that. I mean, how, I think how prevalent of a threat is that? Is that real? Yo, yeah, I mean, that's um, especially at the business level. Uh, you know, they call that really ransomware would be a better name for it. Um, there's malware, so there's, I mean, malware is a general term for just the whole gamut of of um, you know uh, of viruses and, and things that that hang around your computer, bad stuff. But mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's two. I mean, you could think of you could think of malware in two different ways. Uh, some of it would just sit there and gather information, install malware on your machine, and it's not properly protected. Um, you know, that malware typically will sit there. That, the first thing it does is sit there and, and establishes what's called a foothold, and um, and what it will do is it just gathers information, sees what you're typing, uh, sees your passwords, um, sends that off to you know, whoever often, you know, you know, wherever they're, wherever they're doing it from some foreign land. Um, and then what that does is that that gives them an opportunity later to come in and, and access other accounts that you're using. Um, so that's one way that malware kind of works. And, and in the business world, that's pretty common. So you got the foot, you know, someone gets a foothold on your computer. Um, they, they see what the person's typing. They're really looking for the people with the money. I mean, it's always about the money in the end. And, um, and, 
So they're either looking. So there's really two two goals with this stuff. They're either looking for information in a way to get um, to get somebody within a company to to send that money to to them, either purposely or not. Uh, the other way that they do it is there's something called ransomware, and ransomware is is where this malware doesn't just sit there and gather information. Instead, it actively uh, encrypts all of your data. So once it's on your system, it actively goes out, uh, takes takes your data and encrypts it. Basically, locks it away. Encryption basically means you know locking the data away in a, in a way that's unrecoverable. There's no way to get the data back unless you pay them a ransom. So once it's encrypted, they then send you an email or there'll be a message on your screen that says, hey, send this many Bitcoins to this address and um, and we'll release your data. And uh, that's kind of the, that's the new thing in businesses. Um, so, I mean, not new, it's been around for, for years, but that's, it's very prevalent. It, it is, it, it, there are billions and billions of dollars a year being, uh, you know, being spent on ransomware payments. Um, it is a full-blown industry. With, with ransomware getting on your computer, for whatever reason, somebody yep. downloads an attachment that they shouldn't have, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and their computer is seized up with uh, ransomware, can, can they mm-hmm. call a company like yours? Are you guys capable of uh, releasing that ransomware, or does it have to actually go to the, the person or the organization that put that ransomware on your computer? Can you work your way out so, of it by being computer geniuses, as you are? <laughs> Uh, you can uh, sometimes, in a very small small amount of cases, uh, if, if it's been a while. So ransomware, it gets updated and changed and modified the code things over time. And so if it's an older version of ransomware that got your system, sometimes the, we'll say the fixes or the the unencryption keys, they're sometimes out there. And somebody somebody's figured it out and someone and they post those. And and you can unencrypt the data using those. That that's pretty. It's getting less and less likely that that's a possibility anymore. So basically, if it does, so basically, you're, let's say you can't do that, which is which is the most likely thing, uh, that there's no you know there's no uh, keys to to unencrypt your files. So you either have to pay the ransom. So you have two mm-hmm. options then. You either have to pay the ransom, in which case we would, and we have done this before, which we help negotiate that with the uh, with the criminals. Um, that's one way, and then, then we then once we get the data back, we restore their systems. Uh, that's the and, long and painful way. <laughs> that is the long and painful way. Well, when, when you negotiate with uh, the the criminals who are putting the ransomware on, on your clients' computers, uh, what what's the range of ransom that has to be paid, and how is it paid? You mentioned Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. do, they, do they take credit cards, or how do you do this? <laughs> no, yeah, that's a, you know that that's what we help facilitate because a lot of a lot of clients, um, I, you know, I will say these are potential clients. Cause, you know, I will say and I'm going to knock on wood with this that Cloud Nine has actually never had a ransomware happen to any of our clients. Oh, good. Um, I'm, but I'm not going to say that it couldn't happen. That that's not, um, you know, that's that wouldn't be truthful. Um, it could, but we've just been we have always been pretty good about how we set people up. That it hasn't happened yet. But um, but anyways, going on um, the. So how you negotiate? So usually companies will come to us after this has already happened, right? And they're kind of in a pickle. Right. So then, they then they want to, you know, they actually actively engage us on how to how to resolve this for them. Um, we do, you know, you can't pay with credit cards. Every, you know, Bitcoin is completely anonymous, so that's the way they're going to get paid. And it's, it, um, you know, I have yet to negotiate one that was under ten thousand dollars. So they're they're ten thousand dollars or more. They're up to hundreds of thousands. 
So it just depends. So the, the criminals will will look at your data and they're going to think, they're going to go to them. So they're going to look at the size of your company. They're going to look at your data and they're going to say, well, how much do they think they could pay? And that's where they're going to come up with their number at. They're going to see the type of data they have. Like if it's very, like if it's like a medical company or something like that, well, it's a huge HIPAA violation, right? So um, right. Uh, that they even, so so the, they know that medical companies don't want to have anything public. So they will, you know, prices on those will be much higher. Um, so there's things like now they're supposed to report that. So I'm not going to, I'm not speaking to any of that stuff, <laughs> but I'm just saying this is, this no, is the type no. of stuff that happens. They right. say very, very few ransomware. Here's what's funny is they say that they say that a very small amount of ransomware cases actually get reported. You know, the companies want to keep it on the down low because it hurts their reputation with their clients. It hurts their, you know, it could be, there could be legal ramifications for it as well. If it's something like a medical institution. Right. Um, so they try to keep so, it on the so, down low. Um, so those groups anyways, that yeah. put out the ransomware, it's sort of a uh, quite quite the industry right now. It's very profitable. But uh, on the last uh, I mean, couple of minutes we have, let, let's talk yeah. about a couple of things that are sort of like do's and don'ts, and you can confirm or, or mm -hmm. point me in the error of my ways here. Yeah. Uh, first, first off, never ever ever download any attachment that you don't know about or expect. Is that right? That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I'll be very careful about emails coming into you from people you don't know. One one thing I noticed, let me know if this is valid or not. If I would if I were to receive an email from you and it was somebody spoofing me, I'd see your name printed mm -hmm. out. But just to the right of that, in parentheses, I'd see an email address I don't recognize. That would mm -hmm. 99, 100% tell me it's not you. That's I get rid of that. Yeah, that's 100%. That, those, that's a bad spoof. That's a, that's somebody who really didn't do a good job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we, again, as we're spinning through these things, we might look at an email like that for less than two seconds, and then we're going to decide mm -hmm. to delete. And one of the oh, other yeah. things, when you're going when you're going through your emails, you mentioned hovering over something. I I yeah. would not recommend. I'm thinking myself, because if I have a mouse or a touchpad, and I'm moving my cursor around, I wouldn't want to hover over something and then just reflective reflexively tap something that would hmm. cause the download to occur or the linking with a an unsavory website. So um, yeah, try to be very very careful. Uh, other thing about yeah, you don't passwords. want to click. Well, even inadvertently. Yeah. And then, then finally, passwords. Yeah. You know, passwords. We have uh, so many accounts, so many usernames, so mm -hmm. many passwords. Uh, we have about a minute. <laughs> is there, is well, there passwords. Some... I mean, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. You, know, you know, if there's one thing that's going to keep almost every breach or you know uh, hacker away, uh, well, there's two things I would suggest, and that will it will literally resolve you know 90 percent of the chances of you getting a breach which are two things complex passwords you use something um use something that's that's a long maybe a phrase something that's not easy to guess uh you know and the second thing would be if if, if that service or product has what's called two-factor authentication you should activate that and use it now two-factor authentication is when you when you use um you get a code on your phone um and it that's a second author off so when you type, you type your username and password in, and then next to ask you for an MFA code, multi-factor authentication. And then that oh, Trent, code... Trent, we're out of time. Yeah, so we're going to have to have you on again. Probably after the holidays. Let's yeah. try again to educate us on this yeah. stuff. Let's hope we're not damaged uh, during the holidays here. But anyway, Trent uh, Milliron, thank you so much for joining us with uh, Cloud9 IT and this good, good information. Yeah.
Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next uh, next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea.